good to have you here. You guys ready for the sunshine? You don't sound that convincing to me. So I was actually in Phoenix all week. Uh, went, uh, went down on Monday with my uh, daughter, with our youngest, Abby. And uh, I kind of went down with, uh, I had two goals in mind, two things I needed to do. One was we needed to get her moved into uh, an apartment. She, for the last few years, has been going to Grand Canyon uh, University, and she graduated here a few weeks ago. Came home with us for a week and then took her back. And moving her into an apartment in Phoenix off, off campus uh, where she'll begin. She works at the school and she's starting her master's uh, program this next week. So I needed to do two things. I needed to get her moved into her apartment, which was the easier part of what I had to do. Because the second thing I had to do was find her a vehicle. And I don't know about you, but I hate car shopping and I don't know anything about cars. Um, and I especially don't like uh, Craigslist, which is kind of where we live for a little while. So we, we went down there and, you know, we got her moved in and we were kind of checking on Craigslist. And f- the way Phoenix is laid out, uh, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's like we would, we would drive over here and we'd look at a car and then we'd drive 40 minutes out way and look for a car. And so for two days, uh, after the first day, we're kind of, in fact, here's a, little, here's a little bit about what the first few days look like. So we, first thing we did is we got on Craigslist and we found a, a car and I'm like, oh, this looks really good. It'll be great. So we went down and, you know, we went for a drive. Uh, my daughter liked every, just for the record, she liked every single car that we looked at. She was ready to write a check right then and there. Um, first car we went and looked at, it was fine. You know, so with our budget, we were kind of looking around the 2000 range with lots of miles on it and she just kind of needs it for a few years so we looked at this car and and it got in it and it became apparent really quick that this guy just flips cars and uh flipping cars so fast apparently that this car he hadn't even looked at he wasn't even sure what it was it looked like somebody had been living in the car for a while hadn't cleaned it out so we got in went for a drive my daughter's like i love it let's get this car you know and and uh so i went i really quick did a little research and what i figured out was the guy bought the car added 700 bucks to it, didn't do a thing to it and wanted to sell it to us, which I was just basically not going to do no matter what. So I told my daughter, well, we should keep looking. So then we went to another place across town and uh, drove another car. You can see she liked the car. Like, Dad, let's get the car. We, we get in the car. We go for a drive. It doesn't break down. That's all she's looking for. She's like, I don't care if it has dents or whatever. The hood didn't quite close. But my daughter doesn't drive that fast anyway, so I figured, what does it matter? And we drove it around. She loved it. We got back. She's like, I want to get this car. So I asked the guy, you know, drove fine. I said, so this is the price. He's like, oh, no, that's not the price. The price is $1,000 more. So I'm like, well, what's the deal with that? And he's like, I showed him the ad. And he's like, oh, no, that's, that's not the car you're driving. We already sold that car. So we had come and driven another car, talked all about it before he told us. So again, you know, I kind of looked at him and said, you know, that's it. And we walked away. And my daughter, so my daughter's very practical money-wise. She was like, there's no way I'm spending that much money. So we left. And, and then we went and saw another car. We saw actually a lot of cars. But we went and looked at one. This isn't actually the car, but it's the year. It's the make. It's a, a Camry. Went for a drive, drove great. But the weird thing is, and I can't really explain it, it had these random spots all over the car that I don't really know what it was. It looked like somebody had just taken a welder to just like random parts of the car. It wasn't like they welded parts on, just like they welded the car. If it was in a hail, you know, I don't know, a, a brimstone and firestorm or something, I'm not sure what it was, but I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. She couldn't figure it out. Uh, she didn't care again. She wanted the car. I'm like, let's keep going. Looked at, a, looked at another, we looked at a Solara, a 2002 Solara, had low miles, a great. Um, I went and drove it. 
I, I didn't even take her at this point. She would have bought any, she would have bought a bus. I mean, so we, we're, I, I went the next morning, I'm driving this car, drives great, got low miles, everything's great. Uh, I get back, I tell the guy, so is this the price? He's like, yeah, and everything looks straightforward. So I said, so you got the, you have the title? He's like, yeah, he hands me the title. Uh, now, remember, we're in Arizona. The title is, uh, from about seven years ago, and it's in California, and it's not in his name. And so I said, you know, um, hey, so this isn't you. And he's like, ah, oh, no, and he gives me the story. It's like belongs to my dentist, and I fixed it for him. And, and so he just gave it to me, and on and on. I'm like, wait, don't you mow lawns for a living? He's like, yeah, yeah, but I, I can fix it. And so anyways, I told him, see, so the first thing I did, by the way, when I landed in Phoenix was I went to the DMV. And I said, what do I have to do to buy a car here? And one of the things they told me was, you know, you need the title and it needs to be, uh, and you've got to get it notarized, right? All that kind of stuff. So I told the guy, uh, we're going to have to go get this notarized. Now, don't worry about it. I know a guy at the DMV, he says, right? Like I, I, I'm like, oh, that sounds really great. So I'm just trying, I'm like, I tell you what, I'm going to go, uh, you know, go get some coffee and I'll call you back. And I was gone. Like in general, in general, people would have these ads and Craigslist and OfferUp was another app we used in which they would lie about the miles. Now, I don't understand if you lie about the mileage, right, what are you thinking is going to happen, right? Because someone's going to come and look at the car and then they're going to figure out it's that. They lie about the condition of the car. They lie about the clean title, the name on the title. They even lied about the make of the car. Like I went and looked at a car that I, it was advertised as a RAV4 and it was a Pontiac. I mean, I don't know anything about cars, but I, I know that a Toyota is not a Pontiac, you know. I was like, anyways, we finally looked at this car. It was a 2001 RAV4 with a ton of miles on it, and it was uh, everything they said. Miles were right. The title was clean, everything. I was, basically, I was like, you know what? This is, you're the first honest person I met. Sold, right? <laughs> we're buying the car. My, uh, Abby loves the car. It's exactly what she wanted. It was really good, but, but I tell you all this because... We had this ongoing conversation for two days in which Abby would ask me, she'd say, Dad, how do you know if you're getting a good car? Like, how do you know that this car is reliable and that it's going to last? You know, I could tell you I don't know much about cars. I can look at the paint, right? You know, I, I, that's pretty. I can, I can look at the tires and tell you I've, I've bought enough tires. I know about tires. I can figure out the stereo works, dents and interior. And, but I, you know, every time we looked at a car, I'd, I'd lift up the hood. It was, it, I, I don't know why, I just was seeing if they were feeding the squirrels, I don't know, you know. But I have no idea, I'm like, you know, honey, I don't know, I can't really tell you if this car is going to last. I, I told her, we, we kind of have this standing thing, every time we look at a car, she'd say, do you think it's dependable? And I'd say, well, I don't know, buy it and I'll tell you in 50,000 miles, you know, if it, because that's kind of the way it is. But, and I thought a lot this week that people are a lot like that. Isn't that true? We, we see the exterior of people. The exterior of people tells us something, it, you know, the words that come out of someone's mouth, uh, the way they carry themselves, the way they react to stress, uh, you know, are they worshipers, um, what do they spend their money on, but when it comes to the soul, when it comes to like popping up the hood of a person and looking inside you, you and I can't do that. We can get some glimpses, but we can't really do that. I think when it comes to the soul of a person, what James has been telling us for the last 26 weeks when he keeps mentioning the word steadfast, is if you really want to know what a person's soul is like, you're just going to have to give it some time. You have to give it 50,000 miles, 100,000 miles. See how it deals with trials. See how it deals with successes. See how it treats people and, and, and goes through challenges in life. 
For 26 weeks, we've been making our way through the book of James, and I hope that it's been good and challenging and encouraging to you, but today we come down to the last two verses. And as we do, I'm, I'm kind of reminded, I thought a lot this week about uh, a story that Jesus told. We call it the, the parable of the four soils, or the parable of the, the sower. And it's a story about a, a farmer, it's springtime in Palestine, and he, he's going to go out and plant a crop. And so what you would do is you'd get a big bag that you'd kind of sling over your shoulder, and you'd have some seed in there, and he'd go along and just kind of broadcast the seed. You probably know the story. And so he, he goes along, and this farmer is planting the seed, and he comes across four different kinds of, of soil. And what we know is that the, the soil is representing four different kinds of, of hearts. And so in this story Jesus talks about, he talks about the first soil that this farmer comes across. It's what we might call the hard soil or, or the hard heart. And in, in Palestine, the fields there that they would plant were often long, narrow strips with footpaths between them. And these footpaths would become compacted, would become very hard. And uh, this, this farmer goes along, and in the story, the farmer basically is the Holy Spirit, and the seed is the word of God that's being sown throughout the world in the hearts of people, and, and the soil is, is the human heart. And this, this farmer goes out and he casts the seed, and some of it falls on this, this hard footpath, and it just sits on the top, and it, it gets trampled, and eventually birds eat it, and, and in Luke 8, 12, Jesus explains what this means. He says, the ones along the path are those who have heard. That, that's the word of God. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and they may not be saved. These are people who hear the word of God, but their hearts are hard, and they, they hear the word, but they're never saved. And then he talks about a different kind of, of soil. He talks about the, the shallow soil or the, the shallow heart. Um, in Palestine, they have areas where there's a, a lot of kind of a layer of rock. And then over, knee, over that is just a, a thin layer of, of topsoil. Where I grew up in California, we had uh, red clay. And then people would bring in a little bit of topsoil. And what would happen is you could, you could plant some seeds in your garden, but once the weather got warm and the seeds germinated and it got hot enough, the, the roots couldn't go down deep and, and the plant would wither and, and die. And Jesus kind of explains that hearts can be a little bit like that. In verse 13, he explains uh, what this means here. He says, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They, they believe for a while and in a time of testing, he says, they fall away. So these are people who, who maybe hear the word, maybe they come to church and, and they, like it. they like what they hear that makes sense to them. Um, they, they're like, that's great. They're, they're encouraged. But then hard times come, which James has told us they always do. And because this person has no spiritual root, uh, the heat comes and they wither and they, they fade away. And it's been said that this is very common in the church today, and there's a good reason for it, because so much theology, so much doctrine in the church today is man-centered, not gospel-centered anymore. Uh, the gospel has been reduced to what God can do for us, and how God can give us what we want, and, and how we can use God to get ahead in life, and sin is, is glossed over, and repentance is ignored, and what you end up with is people who have no root in God. And so when the tough times come, they've got nothing to draw from. It's been said, we've talked about this before, that there's a difference between believing in God and believing God. And there's a lot of, lot of 
people today who go to church who believe in God. They believe in a God. They believe in a, a divine being. They believe in a higher power. And they believe if they pray just right or have the right formula or, or, or you know, if they just get it right, if they beg God enough, if they cry or whatever it is, if they can manipulate God, then God will give them what they want. They believe in a God, in a power but they don't have a personal relationship with that God. There's a difference between believing in God and believing God. Believing God is where you read his word and you believe what he says. And you apply that to your life. But these are people who just believe in God, in a higher power. They're shallow. Hard times come, they fall by the wayside. There's a third kind of soil in this story, and it's what we might call the infested soil or the, the infested heart. Some of the seed falls on thorn-infested ground. So I, uh, I, I plant a garden every spring. I don't know what the deal was with this winter, but I grew an exceptional crop of weeds this winter. And I just came out and it was like this. So I had to get on my hands and knees because I'm not going to spray that. It's going to be the garden. So I've got to weed that thing by hand before I, can, before I can till it. But imagine that I'd just come out and just been like, well, I'll just plant the carrots here and plant the zucchini there. Right, the zucchini kills everything else anyway, so I just kind of plant all this stuff. And you know what would happen. The, the seeds might sprout, but the, but the weeds are going to choke them out. And this is what happens in, in this story with, with this. In verse 14, Jesus explains. He says, as for what fell among the thorns, they are people who hear the word of God, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Jesus mentions three deadly weeds that come up a lot in Scripture. There's cares, riches, and pleasures. The word care there just means distraction, and life is full of distractions, isn't it? You come to church, you hear a sermon, you're like, that's great, I want to do that, but then you walk outside and you're distracted. There's riches and the pursuit of riches and taking care of riches, and there's a pursuit of pleasures, and an obsession with these three weeds, if you will, can strangle the Word of God slowly but surely out of your heart. And then there's the fourth soil that Jesus talks about, the fertile soil, the fertile heart. In verse 8, he explains it this way, and some of the feet, a seed fell into good soil, and it, and it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. And then Jesus explains how this relates to you and me. He says, as for that, that good soil, these are the people who, upon hearing the word of God, they hold it fast in an honest and in a good heart. He's talking about a sincere faith here, and they bear fruit with patience. Man, you can tell that James was uh, Jesus' little brother, can't you? Because so much of the wording that we've been studying for the last 26 weeks, he just sounds like his, his big brother. All of this stuff here, just the idea of holding on fast, of, of steadfastness and bearing fruit and patience. And the point is this, that, that true faith Saving faith, Jesus says, bears fruit. It grows, it's steadfast, and in time, it absolutely bears fruit. And the significance of these four soils is, is this, as I understand it. Jesus was telling the crowd back then that, that among spiritual communities, all four of these soils or these hearts exist. And the same thing is true in the church today. 
And this can be very unnerving for us on a practical level to think about the fact that all three or all four of these exist in the church. There are three kinds of of hearts in the church today without faith and and one with genuine faith. And the question starts to become, so how can you tell, right? You're out looking for a car. How can I tell if this car is going to last? How can I tell if it's got a good engine? You, You come to church, you hang around spiritual communities. Sometimes you start talking to people and you wonder, don't you? Do they really have faith? James and Jesus say the same thing. Real faith, saving faith, produces spiritual fruit. And James has said this again and again, and we find it unnerving, but if it doesn't produce fruit, James has said, it isn't real faith, and it cannot save you. And what James has really been trying to do for 26 weeks is kind of drive us to our knees to examine our life and to ask some hard questions. Is there fruit in my life? By the way, if we want to talk about fruit and what is that and what does that look like, even go to Galatians. Paul does a good job of just kind of laying that out. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. By the way, not, not love as the world defines it or you might define it, but love as God defines it. It seems like love. It seems like joy. Is there increasing joy in your life? Because there, there should be. This is the fruit of the Spirit. How about peace? Are you becoming a more peaceful person? How about patience? Uh, James has talked about all these, hasn't he? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. James has been telling us that real faith works. It produces fruit in us. It changes us. It's dynamic. It, it produces something in our trials. That's the very first thing he said. Real faith makes a difference in your hard days, in the hard stuff, in, in the way you deal with temptation. Faith changes the way that you face temptation. It, it, faces, it changes where you go for wisdom and, and who you lean on. It changes how we deal with our finances. It changes our relationships with other believers. It changes the way we deal with people who persecute us, with enemies, and how we treat people who are different than us. Faith changes us. It changes the words that come out of our mouth and how we respond to people in need. And, and it changes our self-image in the way that we pray. And in these final two verses that we come to today, James is just gonna tell us, and, and, and finally, after going through all this, James just says, I want you to beware. I want you to be on the lookout for, we're gonna put it this way, for uh, the wanderer. He calls us to keep an eye out and to care for those who are wandering. In verse 19, uh, just two verses today, verse 19, he says this, my brothers, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. So let's just kind of stop there for a minute. He says, if if someone from among you wanders. So he's he's talking about people you know. In fact, he's writing to to the church, I believe, and this is very important interpretively. He's writing to the church. He's talking about people in the church. What he's saying is this, that there are people in the church. There may be people in your church, he says. Maybe they grew up in the church. Maybe they attend church because their friends attend church. Maybe, uh, maybe they're attending church because uh, somebody they really like goes to church, you know, and, and they're hoping to get some points. Or maybe they married a Christian. Or maybe they started going to church because that's what you do in that society. Or they were looking to make business contacts. I, I, I face that sometimes. Uh, but, but for a while, they fit into the culture. Maybe they grew up in the culture. They kind of like going to church. Um, but they don't have faith. And at some point, they begin to wander. 
They begin making sinful choices. They begin rejecting biblical truth. In fact, here's a very important thing to notice here. He says, if anyone wanders from the truth, he, he doesn't say if anyone wanders from faith, because these are not people with faith. These are people who are in the vicinity of truth. Maybe they come to church on the weekend. In fact, it's been said that as he closes the book, what James may be doing is, is issuing an evangelistic call within the church to be keeping an eye on, on, on one another. These are people who are wandering from the, the truth of, of Scripture. And it's been said we can wander in two basic ways. We can wander from Scripture doctrinally, that is to reject uh, clear biblical teaching or what we might call orthodoxy. And so he says, you know, beware of people who, who at one point they seem to agree with uh, the Bible and now they're starting to kind of disagree with some things from Scripture. The other is what we just call uh, moral or practical wandering where people begin to deviate from living according to the Word of God. Like maybe they attended church for a while, maybe they grew up in the church. Maybe they received sermons with joy, as, as Jesus talked about. Maybe they come to church and they do some amens, you know. Maybe they do some, you know, come on, pastor. So we, at my daughter's graduation a few weeks ago was in Phoenix, and um, the, the commencement speaker was uh, this big black preacher from Texas, and he was awesome, man. He brought the gospel. It was so, so cool. And as he was laying down the gospel, he was just, he was preaching it, and people around me every now and then, people would be like, come on, pastor, come on, and they'd be like, amen, and he would just go and go, and it was so much fun, right? I know, we don't do that here. We don't, we don't, Saturday night's threatening to do that, by the way. They said next week it could get really interesting. But, you know, these are people that maybe they come and they're taking notes and they seem to like it. And, and, and then for some reason they decide they want to pursue some, some sin and they begin to justify it. They begin to rationalize it. And we've all seen that. Someone who came to church for a while and we, we thought they were a believer and then all of a sudden they start making some decisions and rationalizing why, they, why they're going to go against Scripture. Um, or maybe it's somebody who you know, wants to get in a relationship or watch something or consume something or engage in something. And instead of submitting to the word of God, they, they, they let go and they begin to wander away from the truth, from, from the principles for biblical living. And then he says, uh, and, and someone brings him back. In other words, we are to keep an eye on one another. We are to watch for doctrinal wandering and behavioral wandering. Now, this is a fine line, and I want to be very careful about this. I'm, I'm not saying I need all of you to go out and start just butting into everyone's business from now on. That's like the last thing we need. But what he's saying is that we, on the other hand, we don't ignore when other people begin to stray. We don't ignore that. The goal is never to condemn, but to protect and to truly love, to, to bless and look out for one another. And James goes on and says this. He says, let him know that whoever brings back, uh, two important words, a sinner, that's the first word, from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover, that's the other important interpretive word here, and will cover a multitude of sins. Those two words in my mind really clarify who we're talking about here. The word sinner in the New Testament is always describing people from outside the kingdom of God, outside of faith. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, uh, but the sinner. 
And the second is the covering here, the, the covering of sin. And the word covering there in the Greek always signifies forgiveness from God or, or salvation. And so again, he seems to be saying it's possible there's some people who go to church, who are in your, your circle of life, and you, they look like a Christian and they act like it, but there comes a point in life where they begin to wander. And what James says is when you see that happening, you need to pay attention to them. You need to go alongside them. In Proverbs, it tells us this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This is death. This is what James is talking about. Sin brings death. Sin brings spiritual death, a disconnection from God, and physical death. And Jesus' passion was to seek sinners and to show compassion and to save those who were lost. And the big idea that James has here is this, I think. And that is to, to be part of being used by God and saving someone from spiritual death is the greatest thing that you could ever do for another person. I mean, imagine for a minute that you were really rich, that you had limitless wealth. I just think about that for a minute. Imagine all the things that you could do for the people around you. You know, like I could have, I could have bought my daughter a 2008 instead of a 2002 car, you know, and something that didn't have 180,000 miles on it. I could have, I got, a, got her a, a nicer apartment with a bigger bathroom. Like, imagine the people you could feed. Imagine the people you could house. The people you could clothe. If you had unlimited resources. Imagine the medical help that you could give. Or maybe giving people scholarships for, for education. Like, imagine how great that would be. And yet, even greater than all of that is introducing someone to God. There's nothing better, more valuable than that. And this is every, every believer's responsibility. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is talking about this very thing. He says, all this is from God. He's been talking about the work that Christ did for us. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave, gave who? Gave us, that's, that's you, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not gave the pastors or gave the elders or gave the deacons or gave the grow group leaders, but gave us. Every one of us in this room, God has given us the ministry. You have a ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of introducing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. James goes on, he says this now, let him know that whoever does this, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, notice what he says, will save his soul. Now, you're not the one who does the saving of the soul. This is the work that God does. But that word save, by the way, in the Greek, the word sozo there is the most common New Testament word for salvation. James is, actually what James is describing here is repentance. That's, that's what he's describing. He's describing a sinner who is wandering away from God. We, we say this a lot. Like Sin is basically when we take the life, take the blessings that God has given us, and instead of living out God's purposes, we decide, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go away from God, do what I want with all the stuff that God has given me. And what James says is, if you see someone doing that, if you really want to bless them, then you'll notice them, you'll pray for them, you'll seek them out, you'll walk alongside them, you'll talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll bring the gospel. And if they should choose to believe, what he says basically is they will change their direction. The word repentance basically means to change one's thinking and then to change one's action. And they will change their direction instead of moving away from God, they'll return to God. They'll return to the truth. They'll trust God. They'll move toward him. So what do, we, what do we do with all of this? 
Well, the same thing that we've said for 26 weeks. James just comes down to the same thing, same broken record all the time, and that is if you have faith, you need to use that faith because it's powerful stuff. So how do we, as we close this book out, how do we do that? How do we engage our faith in, in what James is talking about? Well, the way is this, that we take responsibility for the people in our life. We take responsibility for the people around us. So what we don't do is ignore them. What we don't do is have the, you know, kind of live and let live attitude or the it's none of my business attitude or I'll just look the other way or I'll hope God will bring someone else along to encourage them. Instead, what we do is we pay attention. We pay attention to the words that come out of people's mouths, to the decisions they make, to the way that they act or react to both success and failure, their decisions. And when they start wandering, we get involved. We engage our faith. So interesting to me that this is how James closes the book. What he basically says is now look out for the people around you. Now we could mention so many practical ways we do this, but I want to close by just quickly mentioning four that basically James has already given to us in this book. The first is this, and I think we have to start here. You've got to have a heart. So let me explain what I mean here. God hates sin. We just kind of get that out there. God hates sin, everything about sin and what sin does. But Jesus came to seek sinners. Jesus sought them. He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. He had discussions with them. He was patient with them. Ultimately, he died for them when they didn't ask him, didn't want him to die for them. In fact, they put him to death. And he saves them by faith. Now, the reason that I mention this to you is because if you've been coming to Gateway for a while, you know that uh, for the last eight months or so, every now and then on a weekend, we'll have people out on the curb. They're not allowed on our property anymore, but they'll stand on the curb with signs that basically say, God hates sin, which we agree with, but then it's basically, and God hates you, and God hates the sinner, and God can't wait to judge everyone. And I'll just say this again. I absolutely believe that that is heresy, that that is not true, that that is not what Scripture teaches. And the one verse they can never ever deal with straightforward, they always got to have some way around it, is one of the simplest verses you'll ever know, John 3, 16, and lays it out very clearly. For God so what? Wait, God so what? God so loved the who? Right, and the word world is the word world. Like they try to explain it another way. Well, no, it's God's elect. No, it's not. Well, it's, you know, those who got it, Jesus atonement. No, it's not. It's the world. It just means the world. It means the population of the world. It means everyone who's ever lived. For God so loved the world that he gave. What was his motivation here? Because he loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's motivation has always been love. He valued the soul that he has created. He came after it. He pursued it when it didn't care about him. He died for for that soul, that enemy, even when they didn't want it. And God has called believers to carry on the exact same mission with the same motive. 
James said it back in chapter two. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, according to the word of God that says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Who is your neighbor? Is it only the believer? Is it only the person you like? No, actually, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus makes it clear. Anyone that you come in contact with that you brush up against who has a need. Let me ask you this question as we close out. What is your attitude toward the wanderers in your life? Have, have you judged them? Have you written them off? Have you said, you know, I, I, I just knew it. I knew they'd do this. Or do you love them? Do you have the same attitude toward them that, that Christ had towards you when you were an enemy? I want to ask you this. Is it possible there's a wanderer, wanderer in your life right now? that you need to renew your attitude towards. That you need to once again love them instead of judging them or writing them off. I want to encourage you to, I, I know how this goes, we're, we're finishing this up, and, but I want to encourage you, if God brings someone to your mind, to write their name down and to make sure to pray for them this week. Actually, uh, we need to kind of move on here, but uh, here's, this, here's the second thing. I put it this way. Uh, you got, so you got to own it. Um, Here's what I mean. If you want to help people who are wandering from the truth, then you need to live out the life that you were wishing they would live out. That just makes sense, doesn't it? Like if you want this for them, then it would only make sense that you would be living that as well. Here's, here's how James put it. But notice he says, but be doers of the word. Remember way back in chapter one, we, we went over this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, not note takers only, not listening to a sermon only or the podcast only and then going home and not doing it. Don't do that. Don't deceive yourselves. But the one who looks into the perfect law, that's what we're doing this morning, looking into the word of God, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a, but a what? But a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed so here's a question. Do you really want to help the wanderer around you? Do you really want to help the people around you? If you do, then here's a good thing to do. Be a doer of the word yourself if you're hoping that they will as well. I like how Paul puts it in Galatians. He says, brothers and sisters is in there. If anyone is caught in a transgression, notice what he says here. I love this. You who are spiritual... That should be every one of us here. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. He says, you who are spiritual, not you who are perfect, right? but you who possess faith, uh, you who are, are growing, you who are being sanctified, becoming holy. See, if you have integrity in an area that you are trying to help someone in, you understand what a gift that is to them. It shows them that there's, there's hope. It shows them that there's a way if you're talking with someone who's wandering from God relationally and you're able to, to talk to them and say, let me tell you how God has helped me in, in this area or maybe with an addiction or with whatever it is, if you can come alongside and say, hey, let me, let me tell you about the difference that Jesus has made in my life. That's such a gift to them. It shows them there's hope. It shows them that God can make a difference. It's very different than coming alongside of them. And I know we like to pass this off as you know, being genuine today, but I'll hear people say, hey, just go alongside and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just like you. Because right, that's helpful. I'm, I'm just like you. I messed up just like you. I'm sinning just like you. It's another way of saying, I'm a Christian and you're not, and Jesus has made absolutely no difference in my life. Don't you want that? Don't you want to sign up for that? Is that what God saved you for? No. 
He's given you the Spirit and His Word to make a difference in your life. I mean, restorers must be truly spiritual people because your life, your lifestyle matters. It Not only does it honor God, and not only is it good for you, but it matters to your friends. But the way you live, it matters to your spouse. It, it, it impacts them. It matters to your kids. It matters to your grow group. It matters to unbelievers. And for five chapters, James has been saying, here's how real faith works in real life. Now do this. Now apply this. So let me ask you this. Is there any area in your life where you just need to grow spiritually right now? Right? Maybe, maybe in week five or week seven or week 20, God put something on your heart and you're just realizing this morning you didn't do it. You didn't act on it. So the good news is I'm just kind of giving you another chance here. And maybe this time you could think about it. You're not just doing it for you and you're not just doing it to obey God, even though both of those things are awesome. But you're doing it because you love the person sitting next to you. You love the person that lives in your home. You love the person you're working with tomorrow. You love them enough to pursue holiness in your own life because it, wow, surprisingly enough, makes a difference. Here's the third thing. And that is, you got to get on your knees. You, the, in James, he said this in chapter 5, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So when you see people wandering spiritually, let me ask you, do you talk about them or do you talk to God? Do you talk about them? Do you, do you give gossip prayer requests to people? You know, guess what I saw him do? You know, well, I'm just telling you this is a prayer request. No, you're not. You're just gossiping, right? Do you judge them? Do you condemn them? Do you say, I knew it. I knew they were going to fall away. Or do you talk to God? Do you, do you intercede on their behalf? Do, do you ask for them? Do, do you beg? Do you plead? Do you fast? Do you do it every day? In James chapter 1, he, he told us this. If any of you lacks wisdom, right? So if you, you have a wanderer in your life and you're like, I don't really know how to help them or what to do for them. Hey, you could use some wisdom. Good news. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him pray to God. Who gives notice generously to all and without reproach. And it will be given to him. Quick question. Who do you need right now? Who's the wanderer in your life that instead of talking about, maybe you just need to stop doing that and pray and talk to God and do it consistently and do it, do it passionately? Who needs that? And here's, here's the last thing. And we'll wrap this up. Sometimes you gotta, in the end, you've done all these things and you still have to have the talk. You know? There are times when we must just prayerfully and humbly confront people. And, and if you find that difficult, and if you find that intimidating, and if you feel inadequate to do that, then congratulations, you're getting it. Because it usually is all of those things. And if you want to help a wanderer, let me just say, you must be humble to be helpful. You must be humble to help the wanderer. This is so important, and James has brought this up again and again. In chapter 4, he said this, God opposes the proud. The people just walk around thinking they have the answer to everything and know how to correct everyone. James says, actually, God stands in opposition to that person. But he gives grace to the, to the who? To the humble. See, humility is simply admitting to God that you want to do something good, but you can't. That's all it is. You want to do something, you want to bless someone, but you want God to do that, and so you get on your knees before the Father, you humble yourself, you confess your inadequacy, and, and then you become someone God can use. And this is so important. I, so I've shared this with you before, but I, I used to, um, years ago, I would go up to my office 
before every uh, service, before every sermon, and I would get on my knees and, and I would pray. And I would do it because I was, I was physically trying to um, represent what was going on in my heart, and that is I knew I was about to go teach the Word, and I'm not really capable of it, and I don't have the power or the ability or the intelligence. Or, uh, only God can do that. Only God can touch your hearts, and I don't want to waste your time. And so I would just beg God, God, I, I'm begging you to do what only you can do. But then a couple years ago, I started a, a different practice, and I've, I've told you about this, but it's a practice where instead of getting down on both knees, I, now I usually I get, down like, I get down like this. And I don't do it because I'm getting really old and I can't get on both knees, although that's part of it. But actually, again, it's a little bit symbolic. I, I, I get down on one knee because, again, I'm humbling myself before God and saying, God, I'm about to go teach your word and I want to bless your congregation, but I can't. I'm just, I don't have what it takes. So I'm begging you to do it, to, to take your word and to deliver it to the hearts of people. But I always have one knee up. And this is because at some point, you got to get up. At some point, I have to leave the office. I mean, I'd just stay in there and pray all day if I could. But at some point, you have to get up and you have to get going and you have to move. And this is kind of what we're talking about here. This is what it means to be humble. One knee bent to the Father and one knee ready, you know, up and, and ready to go. And there are times when we must get up and go. There are times when we'll have to confront and we'll have to point out some things and we'll have to be specific. And, and, and again, you may have to risk the relationship. But this isn't about you being liked. This is about that person and what they need. It's about loving them and helping them. In Colossians, Paul says this, but we proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Let me ask, is there someone that you need to have a loving, maybe difficult, but specific talk with? Somebody who's wandering, Somebody with whom you can say, you know, I've seen some things going on here and I love you and I know this is uncomfortable, but I love you too much not to have the conversation. Yeah, who would that be? James 5, 19 and 20. Let me just read it before, uh, for you again and then we'll pray. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. And will cover a multitude of sins. I love that this is where James leaves us. And so I want to encourage you as you go from here today. Look for the wanderer. Look to help them, to love them, and to serve them.